Thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. We're along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. So you just got back from your honeymoon. You've opened the gifts. Maybe even you got around to writing your thank you notes. Mazel tov. And now, welcome to your new life. But it's time to have the talk about money. And that is exactly what today's episode is going to help you with as we present a financial guide for newlyweds with the co-authors of a recent UBS Insight piece, Ainsley Carbone, a total wealth strategist for the Americas here at UBS, and Justin Waring, also an investment strategist for the Americas at UBS. Our goal for this episode is to give you some useful tips to help you get on the same page about finance. And guess what? This is not just for newlyweds, as one of the leading causes of divorce is not communicating about money. So let's dive in. So welcome, Ainsley, and welcome, Justin. Thank you for having having us. Pleasure. So, so much here to cover and really critical. A past guest put it best, reminding me that at least in my generation, and I think it's really true in the millennials and Gen Zs as well, is that we all grew up in households where it was actually easier for our parents to talk about sex instead of money. But now you're married and it's time to talk money. So what's the first step to take? So I think the most important thing is to realize the goal about talking about money is to be better at communicating about it. Because as soon as you become married, you become a team and no team is going to be successful without open lines of communication. So I think that's the most important part. But once you realize that, there's obviously, of course, that point that you brought up that it's an awkward subject to discuss. So I think an easy way to get it started is for me personally, at least when I've spoken to friends about it, what I do is I like to ask someone about what their budgeting techniques are because budgeting includes spending and saving. And that's something that at least spending is something that we do every day. Right. So it's kind of an easy way to just dive in. I say, you know, so how do you, I mean, if I'm shopping with someone and they go and spend a lot of money, I've actually asked my friends before, hey, do you mind if I ask, how are you aware of how much you're able to spend today? And they say, either I just spend less than I make, or I've realized that I have gone under my budget X amount of dollars this month and I can spend this. So it's just, it's about figuring out how someone acts within their financial plan. And it's also not just about you. Erin Lowry, author of the Broke Millennial Books and Blogs and a past guest on this show, she has this great term for dealing with money when you start getting serious with some significant other. She calls it getting financially naked. In other words, you have to come clean about all your student loan debts or or credit card debts and habits up front so there's no big surprises down the road. Justin, how would you approach a conversation about financial compatibility? So I think, obviously, as you mentioned before, finances are a big source of friction in relationships. And without having an outright conversation about these things, it's something that can kind of grate in the background. I mean, first and foremost is to have a direct conversation about it. And you need to build a strategy that works as a couple I think a lot of the times you can enter a relationship or enter a marriage with a very optimal strategy for retirement, 
and it needs to change when you get married. In a lot of cases, getting married can be a huge financial benefit right? because you now have two incomes and, and you can share a living space and, and share that cost. My wife had a better apartment. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Not, not that that's the reason, but you know, it did help. <laughs> exactly. But there are also challenges and it's important to address those head on. You need to make sure that you're viewing assets as a couple now, as a solid unit. Of course, there are prenuptial conversations and post nuptial conversations about money, about structuring, to make it clear that your relationship is not dependent on money and your money is not dependent on the relationship. You don't want to conflate money decisions with relationship decisions. So it's important to find a framework where you can work these money conversations out separate from other relationship arguments. So this is what you would call in your piece the mechanic conversation? Exactly. Okay. So then you suggest the money language conversation. Ainsley, what's that about? So uh, the first time, well, I'll step back. So Mm -hmm. have you ever heard about the love language, making sure that the person that you're with, you match love languages, or at least you're aware of the other person's love language. There's five of them. I won't get into them, but it's essentially understanding if I wanted to show love to someone Mm -hmm. and the way I show affection is through quality time, they might receive that as actually gifts is something that they would receive in order to to realize that affection. So when it comes down to your money language, I think it's more about just understanding why someone wants to do something and their reasoning behind it and actually just kind of figuring out what their goal is. For instance, I'm someone who loves to save in my 401k plan because I want to have security in retirement, whereas my sister, she saves just as much in her 401k plan, but her reasoning behind it is because she actually wants to spend a lot in retirement. We're both doing the same thing, but our reasons vary. So I think by understanding the way that people approach certain topics, it can help you just, again, open those lines of communication. And if you're having an argument or a disagreement or you can't agree on something, it allows you to just see it from a different perspective so that you can hopefully come to an agreement eventually. So you've got the language and then you've got the goals, right? Mm -hmm, Exactly. So what are some examples of some goals that newlyweds should be looking at, uh, Justin? I mean, the big ones are, when are we going to buy a house? When are we going to retire? How many children are we going to have? And do we have enough money to support them the way that we want to raise raise our children? I think in a lot of cases, uh, in sort of younger generations, it's uh, higher quality of children, lower quantity of children. Mm-hmm. That ends up being a big source of friction because some people want to have lots of kids and uh, are willing. You want to know that up front. (laughs) You want to know that up front. Of course, of course, that's an important part of every relationship. Right. But it's also, there's a trade-off, right? So more kids means a later retirement age or having your children raised by nannies or, Mm -hmm. you know, know, there's a lot of different trade-offs involved. And I mentioned before about disassociating money conversations from relationship conversations, but when it comes to setting goals, you can't disassociate those. Those are tied in. You need to have joint goals as a couple about how many children you're going to have, when you're going to have them, when you want to retire. Those decisions obviously need to be flexible and part of an ongoing conversation. And there has to be communication from day one. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I think, what Erin had talked about in her book. You you really need to have these conversations. And And it's really useful to have an FA in the room 
to help guide these conversations because I think you need to lay the groundwork as a couple before you bring a financial advisor in. But financial advisors can help you understand the mechanics and the trade-offs involved with this right. in an objective way. Well, they can give you real-world statistics exactly. and, and let you know exactly how much it's going to cost to educate those nine kids you're thinking of having <laughs> exactly. right now, right? You know, there was a study recently, I think it was from Kansas State University, that found couples that argue about money at the beginning of their marriage are more likely to either eventually divorce or report poor relationship satisfaction in the long term, which is kind of obvious, but the earlier that you can tackle these money issues, the better. So in what you guys put together, you talk about four financial actions that you're suggesting for newlyweds. I'd like to take a little bit of a closer look at each one in detail and whoever wants to grab it, grab it. We'll start with reviewing all insurance. So I think this is important because, like you said, after you get married, it's you want to go and review certain action items on your financial plan, especially after such a major life event. But I do mm-hmm. think it's also something that everyone should do on an annual basis. But the first one we said was review all insurance. I think this is important because as you get married, there are different things in your life that are going to matter more than others. Of course, once you're married, if you're in the couple and you're the higher earner, you're going to have someone who's dependent on you. So at that point in time, you have to ask yourself if there's anything that would happen to me, how would my spouse be able to live? Are they going to be okay? Does their livelihood depend on my livelihood? It's about asking what's important in your life and making sure that those aspects are covered. Anything that you have to add to all insurance? I always think when it comes to life insurance, people that are newlyweds are generally younger in in their late 20s, early 30s, maybe mid 30s. And at that stage in your life, the most important asset you have is your human capital, which is unearned income that you have yet to sort of receive as salary. So when we talk about building financial plans that are robust to different risks, we're of course talking about bear markets and things that happen to your financial assets, but we also need to be making sure that we're managing the risk to the non-financial assets, such as your unearned income. Right. And when it comes to life insurance or disability insurance, it's a hedge against the risk that you're not working. Yeah, it's pure protection. Beneficiaries, I know from my practice how critical this is, you know, but 401ks, I think, is something you were. Yeah, absolutely. So the next two were confirm beneficiaries, especially on your 401k. And I think updating your wills kind of falls in line with that. How realistic is it that newlyweds are thinking about wills? That's the thing. Not a lot of people think about it. And I know Justin and I have spoken about this before previously, but. A lot of people don't think about it, even not necessarily just newlyweds, but anyone in their younger age. I mean, I think there are plenty of married couples who don't even have a will. Oh, I know. I know people my age, uh, 58 or older, that do not have wills. Who probably have sufficient financial assets. No, they just don't think they'll ever die. And (laughs) and actually, I happen to know one who was an estate attorney. Wow. And does not have a will. Wow. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) People, it's a... You know, tough conversation. Especially right after a marriage. I mean, that's supposed to be the happiest day of your life. And then you're talking about something that's so morbid. But I think talking about it in a happier setting or a lighter setting, it can be easier to discuss it without so many emotions involved. So I think that's kind of a good time to sit down and review everything, not just confirm beneficiaries on your 401k, but any sort of account. Well, the the other reason I think that people would want to confirm beneficiaries and update their wills is, you know, not every newlywed is for the first time. Exactly. Um, You know, previous guest of mine, Larry King, for example, had uh, multiple times uh, dealing with this. And you want to make sure that the old spouse is not. Exactly. And I, and I, sadly, I've seen situations over my career where beneficiaries were not changed in relation that people had and the first wife got all the money 
Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. And it's just a simple piece of paper. So it is an important conversation. Obviously, a little bias on the financial advisor side, but what have you guys learned from you know doing a little bit more research on visiting a financial advisor together? You go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So I, I They're not a, married, by the way, folks. No, they're arguing. You know, neither of them are married. So I worked on a financial advisory team for a long time. So I am a bit biased. In my experience, the couples that share financial decisions and share spending decisions are the happiest and are the most likely to be confident in financial success. So it's not just about the, the relationship, but it's also about the ability to take risk in the portfolio in order to achieve long-term goals. And so it is important, not just at the beginning, but on an ongoing basis for both spouses to be involved in the financial conversation. We've done a lot of work on the age gap in terms of life expectancy between the husband and the wife in a heterosexual couple. And women tend to outlive their husbands, obviously, by on average a few years. But in many, many, many cases, it can be decades. Hmm. Um, and as a result, if you have the husband, for example, managing the investing and he's gone or not able to, to do it anymore because of mental deficiency, then the wife is kind of thrown into the deep end and doesn't really have the experience of dealing. I mean, investing is at its core relatively simple, but I think we all know that the complexity and understanding of nuances comes mostly through experience, not by reading about modern portfolio theory. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is experience. And um, Ainsley, you were talking about games earlier, and, and I, I love clever ideas. A friend recently told me about a card game that I wasn't aware of, maybe you guys are, it's called Habitudes. And it's really great for new couples that really want to categorize how each person manages their own money. So with each card, they decide either, that's me, that's not me, or... Sometimes. And when they're done, they flip the cards over to reveal a color showing different personality traits like carefree, security, or giving. And then they go further to learn more about their strengths and weaknesses. Bottom line, I think it's good to know what your partner thinks about spending money to maybe prevent further arguments. I mean, because ultimately, many, many couples, again, whether they're newlyweds or whether they're married 30 years or whatever, money is always a difficult topic. But you got to know each other, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes along with the money language and getting financially naked, what we mm -hmm. talked about earlier. It's all about just figuring out how someone approaches different topics because not only can your financial plan be extremely complex, but it's also a very emotional topic. I know we were just talking about it, but I think that's another place where a financial advisor has a lot of value because regardless of how much background an individual has or a couple has in finances, I think it helps having a third party involved. But anyway, so when it comes to the a game like that, I think that can just kind of, again, bring in a touchy subject in a, in a fun and, right. and comfortable setting. Have fun with it. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, and that's a conversation... It's 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 usually rare when both are exactly the same. You know, people come from very different backgrounds, not just uh, wealth or, or whatever in their family, but, you know, that some families just handle money differently. And that's totally okay if you're not. I mean, Absolutely. if anything, that's what maybe better to. because you can open up and you can learn new things. So I right. think it's it's just figure, figuring out what you don't know and being open to learning about what you're interested in from the other person. Well, I, I think at the end is we all have financial personalities. You know, you're either a saver or a spender. Uh, after 32 years of marriage, it's pretty clear in, in my relationship, uh, and anyone that knows me and knows my wife knows that I'm the spender. And fortunately, my wife is the saver. Every accelerator needs a break. Mm -hmm. You know, do you notice that in your research? 
you know, that uh, it, sometimes it's a little better if, if, if you mix a spender and a saver rather than uh, two spenders. I guess it sounds obvious. A little I bit. think it just kind of helps keep the other person in check with one another. I think it's important to have the mechanics conversation reflect whatever pairing you have. And so, for example, my best friend and his wife, they have joint money that goes to cover all sort of fixed expenses and a share of the variable expenses. And then they're given a guilt-free allocation of capital to spend on whatever they want. And that's something that can be either an open secret or a closed secret from the other spouse. That gives them flexibility to meet some of their personal financial goals without touching the nest egg or causing any kind of issues. And then coming back to your game, they also have another way of managing differences, which is whenever something comes up and they're disagreeing, it's amazing to watch. They basically say, how much do you care about this? (laughs) And they give a number one to 10. And if the number seems very, very high versus they have a conversation. Well, why is it so high? Could you explain a little bit more about what you're thinking? And it's a deeper conversation, but ultimately they trust each other to give the true answer to that question. And then the delegate the ultimate responsibility to the person who chose the higher number. Every relationship involves a lot of trust, but I thought that was a really good way of handling disagreements. Absolutely. And I tell you, we don't always give movie recommendations, but one of my favorite movies is called Lost in America. It's with Albert Brooks and Julie Haggerty. It's maybe about 20 years old, and it's actually in color, not black and white like my kids (laughs) think anything that's 20 years ago is. But basically, she winds up gambling the nest egg in the middle of the night in Las Vegas um, as they decide to just cross America. And it's, It's a hysterical movie, but there's a lot of good lessons out of that. Last red flag I wanted to bring up before we stop here is financial secrets. I mean, everyone wants a little mystery in their relationships, but not being honest, it can pretty lead to some pretty big problems. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because you said how financial issues can be oftentimes be something that breaks up the couple. I think it's fine. I think you had touched on it earlier, Justin, to have some money set aside that you can spend however you'd like without having any impacts on your spouse. But I think what makes it problematic is when it's something significant, such as an allocation, maybe that's extremely aggressive. And then maybe if it's not included in the financial plan, it it throws all your other investments off. Or maybe if someone's hiding debt from someone else, that's, that's of course, an issue. And I think it's just kind of assigning or deciding whether or not it's something that's good or bad, small or large, and how it impacts your financial plan and kind of asking yourself, is this something that if the other person knew about it, would it have a significant impact on our lives? So I think those that are listening to this podcast while walking their dogs probably just got home. So let's review these great tips you just heard today from Ainsley and Justin that you can pass on to the newlyweds in your life or really any couple. Set goals. Get organized. Minimize taxes. Protect what matters most. And please, please create a will. The best thing you can do is maintain an open communication and have an understanding on how you and your partner spend money. Ainsley, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Justin, really appreciate your time. Thank you. And remember, the show is now on Spotify, so please follow us there. Clicking the little follow button is like subscribing everywhere else. And feel free to give us some feedback on LinkedIn. And remember, when it comes to saving money for anything, always pay yourself first. Have a great week. 